Scripture reading this morning will come from 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Good morning. It is good to see each of you again. If you're a guest, we welcome you. It is a wonderful day for us. We love Friends Day, and we hope we have friends that can visit with us every week, but it's nice to have a time out of the year where we focus upon that, and this afternoon we'll have worship at the park at 4 o'clock, and that was such an enjoyment last year. We look so forward to that, and we hope that you'll come and join us also for that. There will be shuttle service from behind the Mount Juliet Middle School, and if you want to plan on arriving even as early as a little bit after 3 and or by 3.30, that'll leave plenty of time to shuttle over. And if you need handicap parking, you can go right inside the park for the handicap parking. And there'll be a shuttle service there to take you right to your chair. And uh, then afterwards, we'll enjoy uh, a meal together. And after that, we'll enjoy just fellowship and games for the children and all kind of just fun and relaxing activities. So we hope that that uh, you can come and be a part of that. It truly was just such a blessing last year. And we look forward uh, to the opportunity to experience that again. We are thankful to be able to do a lot of ministries together and hopes of giving God the glory and helping others. Uh, One of those particular ministries that we will do again uh, this year is in just a few weeks. It's May the 8th. It's the Single Mom Car Care Clinic. And the flyers for this are at the Information Center. And if you know of a single mom that may be in your community, in your family, maybe in your workplace, be sure and pick those up and take them. And we would like to be able to just reach out and make a positive difference in the life of a family and hopefully help them in an area maybe that would be meaningful and beneficial to them. When we think about the wonderful opportunities God gives us, one of the great opportunities that God gives us is that of friendship. You know, a lot of time it's easy to take things for granted that in reality mean about the most to us. And right now, if I were to ask you to just stop and think, who are some of your closest friends? Think about those two or three or four people. Think about what they mean to you. Think about what they have meant to you perhaps through the years, how they have engaged in your life, perhaps how they not only have walked beside you, but in the way that a true friend is really capable of doing, of not only walking beside us, but also at the same time having our back and making sure that we know that they are loyal to us every step of the way. You know, the position of left tackle in the in college football, NFL football, high school football has become quite a position that has been talked about, and, and especially in the last few months as the movie was released over Thanksgiving titled Blindside. That movie was a true story, and that's probably one reason why it has really torn and reached out and grasped the heart of America. Michael Orr was a young man born in Memphis, Tennessee to a mother who was a crack addict. 
She had 12 children, and I don't suppose she has raised any of them. Michael was one of those 12 children that wanted desperately to protect his mother, but yet going in and out of, of foster homes and orphanages, he was unable to protect her the way that he wanted to. But he, he had a longing and a yearning within him that he wanted to protect his family. Another aspect of his life that was quite challenging was by the time he was in ninth grade, he had already been in 11 school systems. In first grade, he had repeated for the second year. When he went into second grade, he had repeated also for the second year. By the time he was entering high school, he had a .6 grade average. And finally, walking down a lonely street one night, this couple, the Tuies, saw him, stopped and picked him up. They were able to give him things in his life that you and I probably take for granted, but yet he had never had ever in his life. They were able to provide for him a house. They gave him his first bed that he ever had. They gave him a family that was stable. They showed him love unconditionally. And the story is almost like a fairy tale, but it's not. It's a true story. It's a story how a family stuck beside a young man. And as he went into a private high school there in Memphis, they hired a tutor because they realized how far behind he was in school. And everyone realized the great athletic ability that he had. You see, being over six foot tall, really about six three, six four, weighing over 300 pounds, but yet having very quick foot speed, he's one of those rare individuals that can make it as left tackle. Now, because he wasn't very aggressive, when he first went out on the football field, he didn't hold his blocks. And finally, he is reminded that he needs to look at all of his football team as his family. He needs to protect the quarterback and the running back as if they were family. And when the aspect of protecting family came into his mind, he very quickly came aware of what it was to protect the blind side. Now let me just quickly explain to you what that means because I realize not everyone here probably loves football and and even knows the positions. But if you can imagine a field out in front of me, if I'm the quarterback, most quarterbacks are right-handed. Most quarterbacks that are right-handed are going to turn with their left shoulder down the field to make a pass. That means everything to the left side of the field is on their blind side. Oftentimes, quarterback are the highest paid position on the field and considered the most valuable player on the field. But yet what football, and especially the NFL, has learned in the last 15 years is that usually the second or third highest paid position on the football field is that left tackle. He has to be so tall, so big, and so quick to hold off any pass rusher to guard the backside, which is the blind side of the quarterback. When we think about friendships, there is no greater story of friendship probably found anywhere than that story that's found in the Bible of David and Jonathan. And when we think about protecting blindsides, even the story that I've just related to you, which by the way, that young man not only learned how to play left tackle, but the University of Mississippi recruited him and almost all other SEC colleges recruited him. And he was in the first round draft last year playing for the Baltimore Ravens and has had a spectacular rookie season. A great success story. 
But someone who has done far greater than that in guarding the blind side is the story of Jonathan. It really is an amazing story that I hope in just the small amount of time that we have to study this story that takes several chapters in the Bible, I hope that we're able to communicate this story and you're able to open your Bible and look at this story in such a way to see the richness of this relationship. If you and I can walk away this morning, not with a long list of details of how to be a better friend, but if we can walk away just with the understanding of what does true friendship look like, and then really question ourselves, how do, how do I compare to being a friend the way Jonathan was a friend? And I believe that if we can walk away making and drawing those comparisons, we'll probably walk away from here, at least with a greater desire to be more of the friend that God would design for us to be. The text that was so capably read just a few moments ago, you see there in the 18th chapter in verse 1, it says, Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul. That's an interesting way to begin a chapter. Now makes you think that something has just happened and now something else is happening, except now what is happening is just the ending. He says, now when he had finished speaking to, Paul, to Saul, who, who is this that is the he that has finished speaking? It's David. And he had just finished speaking about what? When you go to the end of the 17th chapter, you realize that he's talking about what he had just engaged in. And what he had just engaged in, which interestingly is probably the most popular story in all of the Bible. Maybe Jesus Christ and the crucifixion would be more popular, but yet people that do not know anything about the Bible, you can say... This is a David and Goliath type situation. And they immediately know what we're talking about. Now, if that story gains so much preeminence today, several thousand years later, think about the text where this is literally a conversation that David is having with King Saul at the end of this tremendous story that's a success story for this young man named David. Well, what was this story? You remember that there was a giant named Goliath, if you go back in the 17th chapter, and that's on page 259 in the Bible that's there in the pew if you want to scan a few things. This Philistines were the enemies, and Goliath was a Philistine, and he stood over nine feet tall, and he would come down every day, as, and he would approach the enemy of the Philistines, which was the Israelites, but the Israelites were the children of God. And so here this enemy is the enemy of God. He's the enemy of the army of God. And he would come out not to lead the warriors into battle. He would come out just to challenge them, if you will, to poke at them to say, if you bring out one man, we'll bring out one man. And here this man, nine feet tall, walks down to the bottom of the valley. He looks up and he makes his cry. You send down one man. And whoever wins this battle, the other army will surrender to the other. And what he would do in that is not only make the challenge, but he would literally, for example, in verse 10, the Philistine would say, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Defy. It means to shame. It means to blaspheme. It means to rail upon. He literally is saying, all of you that think you're from God, I'm mocking you right now. If you're really from a powerful God, 
Send down a man and let's fight. Now, by the way, King Saul was also the leader of the army, not the commander as Abner was, but he was there on site leading the army. He was a head and shoulders above any average man. But still, he paled in comparison to size to Goliath. And the scripture tells us in the next verse that he and the men would shake and tremble. They were in so much fear. David was a shepherd boy. By this time, he is a man, a young man. He's come to visit his brothers. And he hears this cry that Goliath makes. And by the way, Goliath had made this cry morning and night for 40 days in a row. God's people were being shamed over and over. David learns of all of this and it breaks his heart that God's people are being put to such shame. And he believes that God's people should not be put to shame. He believes that God would protect his people. If someone was just courageous enough to step out there, he believed that God would give the victory. And so he goes to Saul and he tells Saul simply that. And Saul tells him he can't face this man because after all, you're a youth and this man has been a warrior since his youth. But nevertheless, if David wants to go... Saul is going to allow him to go. He even lets him try on his helmet and, and his coat of protection, his armor. But yet, <clears throat> David tries to walk about in these things and he says, I'm not tested in these. And so he declares that God will give a victory just as when he was out taking care of the sheep and a lion or a bear came. It was God who delivered the lion and the bear into his hands and he says in verse 36, Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Every step of the way into battle for David was about the fact that Goliath had defied the armies of God. We do this story, a huge injustice. When we talk about David being courageous because he wanted to kill a giant, David was courageous because he wanted God to be represented well. And so as he goes into battle with just his slingshot and five smooth stones, Goliath begins literally to trash talk. Am I a dog and you come to fight me with, with sticks? And David's answered him in 45. Then David said to the Philistines, or to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts of God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, skipping down to the end of that verse, that all may know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. And David loads his sling and he throws the stone and Goliath comes down to the ground and David does not have a sword to take Goliath's life so he literally takes Goliath's sword out of the sheath and he cuts his head off. And he picks up the head and he's going to eventually make his way all the way back to Jerusalem to show that God is powerful. And, they, and Saul turns to Abner and says, Who is this young man? Whose son is he? 
Abner doesn't know. Saul doesn't know. Now, isn't it interesting that when David was a young boy, he was such a great musician that he had been invited to come in to play for Saul during a time that he had gone through depression. And so he had played musical instruments for him, but now he's matured. Now he's a young man. Many of you said, even last Sunday when our young men spoke, I heard many of you talk about various ones of them and say, I didn't even recognize him. He's grown up so much. There's a big difference in, in, in a 12, a 13, or 14-year-old and a 22, a 23, or 24-year-old. And so literally, the man that had sat and played instruments in his presence, he didn't know. The man that had literally come and talked to him and said, we can't let an enemy defy the armies of God this way. We must take a stand for God. And now he takes this stand and Saul says, bring him in. I have to talk to this young man. Now you can also imagine how they probably talked not only about, hey, who are you? But he probably also talked about, that was an amazing battle. Can you imagine two warriors? Saul himself was a warrior. Can you imagine two warriors just talking about the battle? Talking about the victory? But now how does the 18th chapter begin? The 18th chapter begins, verse 1, now when he had finished speaking to Saul... You see, this morning, as we look at the life of David and of Jonathan, they probably had no way to really, truly understand at this particular moment, but their life was in a time of transition. Jonathan also was a warrior, and he was a mighty warrior. But what a transition that was taking place in their life. You see, from this time forward, the king of Israel would never trust David again. He became very fearful of him simply because of his great success. From this time, the episodes that would uh, play out over the, the next few chapters would show that Jonathan and his father would not enjoy even the same relationship because they would find out that in many ways they're very different from each other and in ways that are very important. Isn't it interesting the way life doesn't stay the same? We all find ourselves in various chapters of life, in various, various transitions. I hope you realize this. Life is much better when we have friends that we can walk with through those transitions. You see, as they were about to begin a powerful transition in their life, both of them also were about to begin a powerful relationship that would strengthen each other for the things that would lie ahead. Well, what is it that would lie ahead? Look at that very next phrase, if you will, there in the 18th chapter. Look, as he says, we'll go through that first phrase again. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Do you hear what's being recorded here? Jonathan is the son of the king. David has been invited in, probably literally holding the head of Goliath to say, I want to know more about this. I've just watched you go out and do something that was amazing. Whose son are you? I want to hear this story. And you can imagine how David, as he did before he went into battle, and even while he was in battle, there's no doubt he did the same thing after battle. What was that? He continued to talk about how God has given this victory. He continued to talk about what moved him into battle was God. And what is the result of this? The Bible here says that whenever he finished speaking to Saul, Jonathan is saying, wow, 
our souls are knitted together. In other words, Jonathan is saying, this man and myself, we are so much alike. Isn't it interesting when you can share with someone else as if you're kind of at the same place in life? Maybe you're along about the same age. Maybe you have many of the same past experiences. Maybe you have similar career interests. Maybe, maybe you have similar hobbies. Maybe you enjoy reading the same things. Maybe you have mutual friends. Isn't it interesting when you can run into those people and you can share life realizing, wow, we have a really, really common interest. Now what makes it more powerful is when it can be based on something as substantial is what Jonathan could hear the story of David and say, I relate to this guy. I appreciate this guy. Well, why? If there's anybody that probably doesn't get the credit that they deserve in the Scriptures simply by reputation, they get the credit in the Scriptures. I'm saying the reputation. Jonathan would be one of those that I dare say many, if any of us, give him the credit that he is due. You see, not only was he such a great friend, but many people literally forget that he also was a mighty warrior. You see, his accomplishments could be put up almost against David's if we wanted to simply compare David fighting one giant and Jonathan going into battle not against one giant, but Jonathan literally went into battle against an entire army. Back up, if you will, the 14th chapter, and let's scan some things here as we think about what knitted their souls together. Now, again, just as we talked about David, I want you to notice this about Jonathan. What made their kinship so close was not because people could sit around and say, oh, I can one-up you on that. You think David killing Goliath is great? Let me tell you what Jonathan did. That's not what knitted their souls together was how brave and courageous they were. It was their faith that no doubt knitted their souls together because the brave and courageous things they did was solely because of their faith. For example, when we look in the 14th chapter, and that's page 255 in the Bible that's in your pew there. In the 14th chapter, Jonathan looks over to the young man that is his armor bearer. And that was just one of the uh, aspects of war in that day that a man may have a spear, a javelin, or a sword, but he needed some kind of protection. And so oftentimes he'd have an armor bearer that would carry a shield that would be almost as tall as an individual. And so the armor bearer is out there to help protect, and then the warrior himself would be out there uh, to slay. And, and so he looks at his armor bearer, and he tells him something that's almost unheard of. He says, the Philistines are right up there. Why don't you and I go into battle? Who would do that? It sounds like a suicide march. As a matter of fact, not only are they going to go into battle, but they're going to climb up a steep hill to go into this battle after they've cried up to them to let them know they're coming up. You say, this, this, this has failure written all over it. Well, no, notice what moved him into this battle. This is powerful. In verse 6, the 14th chapter, 1 Samuel, then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised, talking about the Philistines. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Do you know what he means by that? 
Hey, buddy, you ready to carry that armor? What are we going to do, Jonathan? Philistines are in that garrison there. Just me and you? Sure. Why just me and you? Well, this is the Lord's battle. And the Lord is not restrained. The Lord can't be held back from victory whether you march two people into battle or you march 2,000 people into battle. So if the Lord's not restrained by a few or by many, we might as well go in by few. Now, to test and make sure that, that this is what the Lord wants, we're going to go down to the bottom and we're going to yell up to them and we're going to get their attention. And if they tell us, we're coming down after you, we're going to know that that's not God's plan. And if they tell us, you come up here, we're going to know that that's God's plan. And so they go to the bottom, they get their attention, they yell for them to come up, they immediately say, this is God's will. It's a very steep face that they're climbing. They climb the front, and when they get up, Jonathan is the first one up. He pulls out his sword, and he begins slaying individuals, and they drop to the ground. The armor bearer simply follows behind him, taking their lives. And within the first few feet of the garrison, they have already taken 20 soldiers. Sounds a lot like a David and Goliath story, doesn't it? And by this time, the Lord sends an earthquake. And the people see the slaughter by just two men. And they feel the earthquake. And the Philistines grow fearful. And they begin to retreat. And other Israelites join in. And it was a mighty victory that day that began by two men going into battle. Now, would you say two men alone? No. They understood it was two men with God. Does that kind of now make sense? Why when we read back in the 18th chapter in verse 1 there, when... Jonathan hears David's story about how David would stand up for Goliath and battle Goliath because he loved God so much. And he would say, that's what kind of friend I want. As we close this lesson, I'd like for you to notice that the last phrase there says, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. What's the second greatest commandment? Many people will quickly state, it's to love others. What's the rest of it? Love others as yourself. How did Jonathan love David? He loved him as his own soul. Listen. This morning, as we move this lesson to the close, I want to ask you, do you love yourself? Do you realize that one of the reasons that Jonathan and David could have such a strong relationship was first because both of them loved God and they believed, powerfully believed in God. But second, both of them loved themselves. I'm not talking about arrogance and pride. I'm talking about loving themselves as children of God. They knew who their God was. They knew who they were. And they were then very open and healthy to be able to love others. Have you ever heard this expression, hurt people? You got that? Hurt people. People that are hurting. There are things that aren't right in their life. Hurt people hurt people.
Don't ever forget that. When you have a friend or a family member that's striking out at everyone and they're hurting everyone else, there's one thing you can know. They're hurting. Whole and healthy people don't hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. In this story, if we had time to study the life of Saul, what you'd find out about King Saul was that he was a hurt person. And he literally went around hurting people. But what you also find out is you have young men that their life was whole in their relationship with God. And because of that, they could also love others as themselves. Whole and healthy people help people. And so you say, how much do they love each other? When we go to the 20th chapter, 1 Samuel, the 20th chapter, we read that David comes to Jonathan and he tells him, picking up in the middle of it, what have I done? What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Now imagine this conversation. Here David is talking to the son of the king. And he says, friend, can you tell me? Why does your father want so desperately to kill me? And so as Jonathan begins to try to protect David, Saul becomes aware of this. And notice what he says to him in 31. By this time, Saul has a lot of anger towards Jonathan. And he says, For as long as the son of Jesse, that's David, as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom, nor therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. How much did they love each other? At another point in this passage, he even says that he is only, David says, I am only one step away from death. He realizes his life is at serious risk. And the other side, what's Jonathan have at risk? Jonathan knows that if David stays on the path he's on, that he will never serve as king. Would you be fine with that? When we talked about what can we learn from Jonathan, imagine yourself being the son of a king You know that it will be your place to serve as king one day. And yet a man that you have befriended has now been chosen to serve as king. God had chosen him. Can you embrace him? Can you support him? Can you watch his blind side when it's your very own father that's trying to kill him? What a story. So ask how. And we close with the answer of how. We don't have to guess. 1 Samuel, the 20th chapter, verse 42. This is how. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. May the Lord be between you and and me. That is how you build a friendship of loyalty. When in every friendship we can take the Lord, the Lord be between me and you. Can you say that in every relationship? I'm taking the Lord into this relationship. The Lord is 
what will guide me of how to act and interact. The Lord will help me make decisions. I always want to do what's righteous in His sight. You know, when we talk about loyalty, the greatest loyalty that's ever been shown was when Jesus marched all the way to that cross. When the night before, He was so desperate and so tempted to turn His back, but He didn't. He even prayed, let this cup pass from me, but he wouldn't walk away from the cup. Why? Because he knew that there was a side to you and I that we could not protect on our own and that we needed a Savior. Friends, this morning, if you're here as a friend, we thank you. It really does encourage us that you're here. But all of us here surely can be better friends, can work on it, can strengthen it, to become more like our Lord, can become more like Jonathan. And this morning, if, if you haven't been saved and you're a believer that's willing to repent of sins and be immersed, or if you have been saved and you want to come back, this morning, if you just simply need prayers, you, you need to study more, if there's anything that we can help you with, come as we stand and as we sing.